Acts 13. I hope you have found your way to Acts 13. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to have your eyes there this morning. Acts 13, we're going to be spending our time looking at the first 12 verses, and then we're going to jump into the bulk of our time together this morning asking one simple question. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I hope your eyes are on it. Acts 13, look with me in verse 1. Now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they came and sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is God's word for us this morning. As we begin to unpack and look at Acts 13, I wonder if you would allow me just an opportunity to give you an update on what has been happening in the world through some of our partnerships here at Gospel City. A few weeks ago, Michael Poole and myself stood on this platform and had an opportunity for you to pray for us as we were being sent out to go to West Africa. And as we went to West Africa, we went in partnership with Africans Reaching Africa. It was Michael, myself, and a pastor from Columbia City, Pastor Brad. We went there to invest, equip, encourage nine different missionary families and Bill and Jen Nelson, the founders of Africans Reaching Africa. And man, we had a wonderful time. And it was amazing to see these nine new missionary couples coming to this uh, training area in support from their local church, engaging with the gospel, engaging with God's word, seeking to leave everything to be on mission for the Lord in their context and their country. Michael, myself, and Brad, we landed and we jumped right in, and Michael did a wonderful job of walking through conflict resolution. Did you know that missionaries, one of the number one reasons why they leave the field is because of conflict and their inability to resolve it? So Michael walked through what it looks like to have a gospel-centered view of conflict, and then he showed them, just by opening God's word to the Lord's Prayer, how we should pray Scripture. And he did a wonderful job of doing that. We played some games too. If you didn't know, games sometimes don't contextualize to where you are. So uh, we tried to play Cookie Face. Do you know what Cookie Face is? Cookie Face is a great game. You should try it when you get home. You put an Oreo on your forehead. First to get it to your mouth without using your hands wins. No? 
You guys don't play that game? It's a wonderful game. And if the Oreo drops, you pick it up and eat it, and then you get another one, so you drop like four or five just because you want them. Okay, that's fine. I'm the only one. That's, that's good. We're fine, right? So Michael did a great job there leading with conflict resolution and prayer. Pastor Brad was able to unpack some deep doctrines in Scripture and walk through some systematic theology. And the thing that amazed me was halfway around the world, we're sitting in a room with disciples of Jesus, and they're asking the same questions that you have asked at our core classes, and we're, we're looking at the agency of the Holy Spirit and they're raising their hands and saying, well, how does the Holy Spirit move and how do you know that happens and what's going on? And I mean, they're asking the same questions you're asking and they're seeking the answers in God's word. I had an opportunity to walk through the true gospel for them, that it's rooted in creation, the fall, the redemption that Jesus offers and the new creation that we're promised. Because in their context, in their country, in their area, in their way of life, they're gonna confront multiple false, false gospels. And there's gonna be men and women in the villages that they're gonna live in that are gonna come to them with a false understanding of what it is to possess eternal life. All in all, what we saw in our time in West Africa is we saw the local church in a country that's 99% Muslim, we saw the local church rise up, develop, disciple, and deploy men and women to live sent on mission for the gospel. Just if you will imagine, over a matter of seven to eight weeks, these new missionaries in this new country were meeting the people they would do ministry with for the next year. They were being trained. They were finding out where they're going to live and they were moving there with their families in a matter of seven weeks. Can you imagine that? Just having the ability as a disciple of Jesus to put it all out and say, here I am, Lord, send me wherever you might go, wherever I might go, wherever you might send, I'm willing and able to do it with my family. Man, it's a humbling experience to be there and to be a part of what God is doing through Africans reaching Africa in West Africa. I want to show you a few pictures just to kind of bring you into the world, bring you into what we experience. The first picture that you'll see there on the bottom is Michael Poole teaching them on prayer and conflict resolution. Now, just so you know, it's winter in West Africa, so it's cold. It's a solid 95 degrees. And if you'll notice, the man on the far right, he's wearing a puffer jacket. It's like legit cold for them. Like I'm showing up and I'm coming out of, you know, 15 and, you know, there's 10 inches of snow the day we leave and I'm, I'm just loving it and they're freezing, right? So Michael's doing a great job of teaching and engaging our missionaries. There they are, all nine of them, most of them with their wives, learning about what it will look like for them over the next year to be a part of Africans reaching after engaging the unreached. This other picture that you see on the screen is a beautiful picture. That's a picture of some of our missionaries and what that man has in his hand is a battery powered projector. Just imagine if you will, you live in a village where you've never seen a live motion picture and some cat with a motorbike rides in with a battery powered projector that has the ability to be synced up to a Bluetooth speaker and have a micro SD card inserted in and then all of a sudden in the middle of the desert you have an open air movie. What ARA has done, they've partnered with the Jesus Film and they've acquired the Jesus Film in their language. So it's not just the first motion. They're not watching Spider-Man Homecoming, okay? That's not where they're watching. They are sitting down in the desert enjoying their first motion picture and it's a picture of Jesus speaking to them in their language. Isn't that amazing? And man, in the middle of nowhere, the first thing they see 
is Jesus on a screen telling them the plan that he has for their life, the redemption he offers. I love that. And sometimes we take technology for granted. When we synced up with that Bluetooth speaker, it was the first time I'm pretty sure that some of these missionary couples had experienced the like, technology of Bluetooth. And it was awesome to see. And man, it was just, again, humbling to be a part of it and humbling from, uh, to be sent from our church. This last clip I want to show you, I just want to bring you into what we experienced while we were there. It's a short video, and this happened each and every day when we would gather together as they're being discipled, as they're being developed, and as they're getting ready to deploy, these missionaries would gather together and they would worship Jesus. Check this out. I love that because if you notice, there's not one singular mission or worship leader there. And this cat, I don't know if you know this, don't have rhythm. So when their applause is already off, I'm already struggling to keep beat, okay? And it was awesome to hear their passion and their joy just to sing to the Lord. Just as a group of disciples gathering together from their local churches, being sent out, worshiping the Lord together. And and what I love about our time in West Africa is that our time there in West Africa, it's not too far removed from what we've just read in Acts 13. You see, in Acts 13, what we're gonna see this morning is we're gonna see the local church at Antioch raise up men who are gonna be sent out on mission for Jesus. And I dare say that if the church council from West Africa stood on this stage this morning and looked at you as a disciple of Jesus in the eyes, the word of encouragement they would give you is simply this. Disciple of Jesus in Michiana, you should do likewise. You should do likewise. Be sent out on mission with the gospel for the glory of the Lord. That's your purpose. That's your role. That's what God's given you to do. So as we look at Acts 13 today, we're gonna ask one simple question. And the question is this, am I called? Am I called? And as we seek to answer that question, what we'll see is we'll see that God's remedy, God's solution to a dark and depraved world are disciples who live sent on mission for him. That's God's solution. There's a dark and depraved world that you live in, that I live in. There's a dark and depraved world that has penetrated into the innermost parts of Africa and the innermost parts of Michiana. And God's remedy, God's solution to that are disciples who live sent on mission for him in their contexts, in their places of employment, in your families, in your homes, wherever you might be. So the question we're going to ask is, am I called? And we're going to seek to answer it by looking at some attributes of those that God calls and looking at some actions of those that God calls. But before we do that, I just want to acknowledge something to you. We use a phrase here at Gospel City a lot, and I think it's fair for us to kind of put some handlebars on that phrase. So how many of you have ever used language and used it wrong? Okay, 
Praise the Lord, I'm not alone. I work with young adults, so I seek to take their language and make it uncool. So things like yeet, I say it, no idea what it means. Uh, hip, I got two of them, I'm also apparently that, right? So there's these words that we say a lot that man, we, we may not know the definition of, and I think it's fair for us to put some handlebars on the definition of what it means when we say live sent. So as a church, when we say that to you, here's what we mean. To live sent simply means this. It's a mindset of faithful obedience to the gospel and the mission that Christ calls us to. And you gotta, you gotta track with me on this. That it begins with a mindset because Jesus in you is the hope of the world. And what Jesus has done for you has transformed you if you're a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if the gospel has made you new, then 2 Corinthians chapter five would declare to us that behold, you are a new creation. Created in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2 tells us, for good works, your mindset, what you think influences and impacts everything that you do. So for us as disciples of Jesus Christ, when we say church lives sent, we're asking you just to possess a mindset of faithful obedience to the gospel and the mission that Christ has called us to. This mindset, by the way, has no age parameters, no age dynamic. If you're a disciple of Jesus at eight, you are called just as much as those at 80 to be on mission, living sent where you are with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're that middle schooler walking into your earth science classroom, then realize you're there for a reason, for a purpose, and you should live sent on mission with the gospel, fulfilling what Christ has called you to. If you're a college student walking into that freshman class worried about what your peers and your professors will think of you as a disciple of Jesus, realize who you are in Christ influences what you do. It's not the opposite. Who you are in Jesus and the mindset you possess in Jesus impacts who you are. You walk into that classroom with boldness. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom or a working adult or retired and you're living your best life now. It doesn't matter what it is. You must possess a mindset of faithful obedience to the gospel and to the mission that Christ has called us to. So church, when we say live sent, that's what we're asking you to do. So now that we have some handlebars on that, let's dive into our text today and begin to see some attributes of those God sends. Notice verses one through three. There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Before we jump into some attributes, I want to make mention of one thing. And here in the book of Acts, you remember we have high points and low points. So we're kind of riding this wave in the book of Acts. And here in Acts chapter 13, Luke's making a transition. The end of Acts 12 is the last time that we're going to be primarily focused on Peter and the church at Jerusalem. He's now shifting his attention, shifting his focus from bringing the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and now he's going to show us what the gospel looks like when it's brought to the world. And the focus is going to shift from Peter to Paul, from Jerusalem to Antioch. The church here at Antioch, we first met in Acts chapter 11. Do you remember? After the persecution of Stephen, some faithful cats, some disciples who loved Jesus from Cyprus and Cyrene traveled as far as Antioch and they opened their mouths to proclaim the word of the Lord to Gentiles and the church is birthed. This church in Antioch will become the sending center for mission in the first century. In a matter of a few hundred years from the moment that this is written in Acts 13, there's going to be over 100,000 people that are disciples of Jesus in Antioch. 
That's a big deal. So in Antioch, there are prophets and teachers. And notice the first thing that we see when we look at the attributes of those God sends is simply this, that God sends disciples from diverse backgrounds. Notice who we're introduced to here in our text. These prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And this is a motley crew. Like this is, this is some... These are some different folks here, okay? We know Barnabas. I call him Barney because that just makes a little bit more rhyme for me in my mind. We're first introduced to Barney in Acts chapter 4, where he sells a piece of property and gives the money to the apostles. He's a man from Cyprus. He's a man of encouragement. He's a bridge for the apostle Paul. He introduces Paul to the church, and he brings him into the fold. He's called the son of encouragement, So we got Barnabas on one hand, but then we have these two guys here. We have Simeon, who's also called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene. These two men are most likely from North Africa. In fact, here when we see Simeon, who is also called Niger, most likely he is a black man who's coming into a primarily Gentile context in Antioch. He's coming into the fold. He's coming into the discipleship that's happening there in Antioch. Notice your boy Manny. Or Manaean, as Luke writes. It, do you ever come up with nicknames for those in the Bible, by the way? It makes it way more exciting to read in your mind. You should try it out. You got Barney, Manny, all these guys that are here in our text today. Manaean is a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. That word there for lifelong, by the way, is a word that means to be reared in the same household. Do you remember worm food from last week, old Herod? You remember that guy? Right? This is the same guy that Manaean is friends with. Manan is a man of importance, intelligence, and connection. He's a man of the upper class who's coming into the fold there at Antioch. And then you got your OG persecutor turned apostle, Saul. Realize these five men coming into the church at Antioch as prophets and teachers, there's no other context in life that they would have been together. And yet God is assembling together this motley crew of men to go and be sent on mission for him. God is doing a work here in Antioch in Acts chapter 13. He's assembling this varsity level diverse team. He's sending them out. They're engaging in ministry there at the church at Antioch. Notice they're prophets and teachers. They're speaking, they're teaching, they're growing, they're being developed, they're being discipled and now they're gonna be deployed on mission with the gospel. And if I'm honest with you, if I'm honest with you, when I look at Gospel City, what I see is a similar motley crew of men and women from diverse backgrounds being gathered together under the banner of Jesus in discipleship with one another. And man, I hope, I hope that your high water point in your week isn't Sunday. What I hope your high water mark is throughout the week is when you are sent out from here and your mouth is proclaiming the beauty of the gospel. What I hope happens from this moment in your week to Monday through Saturday is that the gospel is so permeating who you are and what you do and your mindset that, man, everywhere you go, whatever you do, you are on mission for Jesus. We see that here in our text. We see these five men on mission doing something exciting and passionate and lifelong for the Lord. So for us today, what it simply means is this. Is that, man, as you come in here, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter your past mistakes. It doesn't matter what your current situation is. 
It doesn't matter if you were redeemed out of legalism or saved from paganism. What does matter, what does matter is what you have believed in the gospel. Because if God's holy and man's sinful, if Christ is your redeemer and you've repented and believed, then man realize you are a part of a diverse team that God has given us here in Michiana to do something for his glory and his renown. So this morning, if your temptation is to disengage, is to unplug and say, man, I'm not like the person next to me, I'm not like that guy up there, then hear me, from teenager to tenured adult, God is weaving together a beautiful tapestry of a diverse body so that we might be a part of the remedy for a dark and depraved world. It's you, it's me in conjunction with one another, serving God, because he alone is worth serving. So let me ask, will you be a part of this diverse team? There's a place for you. Awkward young adult, yep, we got a place for you. Retired CEO, sure, we got a place for you. Homeschooling mom, absolutely, we got a place for you. Factory worker, you better believe we got a place for you. There is a place within the body of Christ for you in your diversity if you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. The invitation is for you just to come and be a part of it. Come be a part of what God is doing through the body. We see it here in Antioch. We see him drafting this diverse team. And I would venture to say that you see it here at Gospel City in Michiana. So the first facet, the first attribute we see of those God sends, he sends disciples from diverse backgrounds. The second is this, God sends disciples who are already serving. Look at verse two. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I love it because Luke gives us a glimpse into the church at Antioch. He gives us a glimpse so that we could see that what they're focused on here in Antioch, they're focused on serving the Lord. They're focused on the spirits moving. The phrase there, worshiping the Lord, by the way, is a phrase that can literally mean serving or ministering to the Lord. I love it because what you see in the midst of these five prophets and teachers, in the midst of this church, you see a spirit that, of the church that's focused on serving and fasting. No wonder they hear the Spirit when he speaks. I would venture to say that you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who's fasting and serving the Lord that isn't also seeking to hear what he has to say. Man, the church is doing that here in Antioch. The church is excited about what God is doing and how God is moving. The emphasis here, by the way, is that these five men, they're not sitting back waiting for what God could do. They're not waiting for a liver quiver. They're not waiting for some arrangement of the stars. They're doing what God has called them to do already. They're engaged in teaching. They're engaged in the ministry he's given them to do. The church is engaged in teaching. They're utterly dependent upon the spirit to sustain, empower, equip, and enable them. The same should be true for us. That as disciples of Jesus... We should be dependent upon his spirit. We should be dependent upon his spirit. We should be seeking the spirit's movement in our lives. We should be asking him to fill us continually. 
Notice what happens next. The Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine being a part of a church who's so in tune with the Spirit that what he says we act on and do? That's what the church at Antioch does. They send out Saul and Barnabas, but the implication is is that the other three, the other three don't stop doing the work that they've been called to do. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm kind of a sinful guy. Um, I don't know if that's you. I don't know if you kind of resonate with that or, or if not. If not, that's fine. But in my sinfulness, do you want to know what I would do if I'm a part of the five in Antioch? Man, if, I, if I'm our boy Manny and I'm seeing Saul and Barney get sent out, in my spirit, I'm going to do one of two things. I'm going to rise up and say, you know what? I'm just as good as they are. I'm going to compare myself to them. I'm going to put them down. Or in my spirit, I'm going to say, praise the Lord, I don't got to leave. Man, this is great. I'm loving life here in Antioch. It's a great place. I got my villa. I, if they had those back then, I don't know if they had villas back then. Let's just say they did, right? I got my villa with the colonnade and the pool. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm having a great time. The temptation for us is to look at those that are doing ministry well. We're to look at these missionaries in West Africa and say, you know what? I could never be them. It's great that God's using them. It's great that, that man, there's somebody that went, but man, I could never do that. When we say things like that, what we're expressing is we're expressing an independence from the Lord, an independence from his spirit. The other three, they never said anything like that. They graciously sent out Saul and Barnabas. They graciously sent them out and they continued to do the work that God had called them to do. These men were consumed with serving God. They were dependent upon his spirit and that reflected the church at Antioch. They understood that their mindset, their identity was such that serving the Lord and depending upon him, that's their first importance. They wouldn't grasp a disciple of Jesus who wasn't also dependent upon him and serving him. It just wouldn't compute for them. Can I ask you a question? When you consider your discipleship to Jesus, what are you consumed with? And what are you dependent upon? If I'm honest, in my life, there's been plenty of seasons when I've been consumed with the busyness of the Lord that I've neglected to actually serve him. And there's also been seasons of my life when I've been dependent upon the spiritual life of those near me at the behest of my own. What is it that you're consumed with? What is it that you're dependent upon? God sends, God sends disciples who are dependent upon his spirit and are already serving him. You have the opportunity. You are a part of the body of Christ if you're redeemed. Just ask yourself, what does your discipleship to Jesus reflect? The third attribute we see in our text is simply this, that God sends disciples whom he has called. They're worshiping the Lord and fasting in verse two. The Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. See, Luke doesn't tell us or give us insight into how the Spirit speaks. It could have been through their Cheerios, could have been through the clouds, it could have been through something else entirely. But the important thing, the, the importance is, is that we see the Holy Spirit moving. 
The word here in Acts 13 for called, it carries with it this idea of a past action with present implications. Let me give you an example. A past action. The Los Angeles Rams played a great game and won the Super Bowl, okay? The present implication, their salary cap will be increased and they'll have a better team next year. Past action, 9-11. Present implication, TSA Homeland Security. Past action for Saul and Barnabas, their redemption and calling from the Lord. Present implication in their life, I guarantee you years later they would look back at that moment and realize God has still called them, God has placed them, God has assured them of what they're doing. There's a past action in the life of Saul and Barnabas, just like there's a past action in your life if you're a disciple of Jesus. Your decision to repent and follow the Lord is a grace of his and that past action carries with it present implications. Just like Saul and Barnabas, you should look back and find excitement and energy and strength and resolve in what God has called you to. For Saul and Barnabas, the Holy Spirit calls them into something that's a little bit different. He's taking the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and he's gonna use them to take, <coughs> to take it into the, na- <coughs> excuse me, the nations. But don't miss the church's involvement here. The church here in Antioch, they realize the cost of sending Barnabas and Saul. They realize they're sending out some of their best teachers and yet they fast again, they pray again, they lay their hands on them and they send them out. They let them go. They commission them into the work that God is doing and they are affirming for Saul and Barnabas God's call on their life. And, and I gotta be honest with you. I mean, when I look at our church, when I look at our church, man, I realize that there are men and women who are fulfilling the call that God has given them. I think of ladies like Amber Williams who serve every week at Transformation Ministries. I think of young men like KJ and Elijah who spend their day to day serving the inner city youth of Elkhart at Lifeline Ministries. I think of people like Pastor Stephen Love and Ben Hurt and Jamie Maxim who God has burdened their heart to plant a church. They raised their hand and said, I'll do it and we graciously sent them out. I think of men like Kevin Frecker who for years, each and every week would make a meal and serve it at Hope. I think of students like Lauren Elliott who give their time, their energy, and their skills to serve your kids at Gospel City Kids each and every week. You see, what, what we see is this diverse team that God's called, serving the Lord because they're fulfilling what God has called them to do. There's a past action at your redemption that has present implications. There's a past action at your redemption that has changed the way you should look and view life. And what I hope you see here in our text and through those few examples is the calling that God has given you. God gives Barnabas and Saul an important work, absolutely. Their work here in Acts chapter 13 is needed to begin the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That work, by the way, that God has called Paul, Saul, and Barnabas to is the same exact work that God calls you to. You and I, we're called to take up the mantle of the Great Commission and to help move the needle of gospel ministry forward. Whether that's in your family or your neighborhood, whether that's at school with your peers in science class or at work on lunch eating your hungry man with the brownie that burns the top of your mouth, whatever it is, 
God has called you, placed you, equipped you, and deployed you to be sent on mission for him with a message of redemption. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you are God's plan A. You are his remedy to the darkness and the depravity that you experience every day. Will you live sent on mission for him? From the attributes that we see, we're gonna spend the rest of our time quickly looking at what happens when God sins. Verses four through 12, we're gonna unpack these quickly. When God sins, the first thing we see is that I go with a plan and a message. Notice the church has laid their hands on, they have prayed for, they have fasted for Barnabas and Saul and they are sent out. They go from Antioch down to Seleucia. They sail to Cyprus, Barnabas' hometown. They land at Salamis and notice what they proclaim. They don't proclaim the latest chariot scores. It's not what they proclaim. They don't tell of the greatest fare and food that Antioch has to offer. It's not what they're sharing. They don't talk about the weather or the temperate climate and how it's different than that of Cyprus. They don't care about any of that. They go with one singular message and the message is the word of the Lord. Barnabas and Saul, they sail with a plan. They sail with a message. They know that the remedy to what ails the world isn't a better friend, isn't what the weather's like, isn't the latest sports scores. They know the remedy to what ails the world is God's word. The remedy is the gospel. They go proclaiming a message with a plan. I would dare say this, that God's given you a message. The message is the gospel. That God's holy and man is sinful. Christ is your redeemer and the invitation is for you to repent and believe. Are you being faithful and obedient to proclaim that message in your context, where you are? Barnabas and Saul are. They leave going with a plan and a message. When God sends number two, they go ready for opposition. Verses six through 11 are a phenomenal story. They travel some 90 miles across the island of Cyprus and they meet this wonderful man named Bar-Jesus. He's described as a Jewish false prophet. Bar means son of, Jesus means salvation. His name declares what he's proclaiming. He's proclaiming a type of salvation that's really a type of uh, damnation. He's hanging out with this guy named Pauli, AKA Sergius Paulus, the proconsul there on the island of Cyprus. He's the proconsul's personal prophet. And when Paul and Barnabas show up on the scene, the proconsul, a man of wisdom, summons them to hear the message. And notice what happens. Opposition immediately arises. This man who had called himself a son of salvation isn't that. Notice Paul's response. You begin to see the Paul that we'll see in the rest of the book of Acts. Paul says to him, you're not a son of salvation. Look at verse 10. You are a son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? I love it. Paul just goes hard in the paint every time. It's just what he does. He's just going, he's proclaiming the truth. And now behold, verse 11, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind, unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Realize as a faithful disciple of Jesus, if you go with a plan and you go with a message, if you embrace the call that God's given you, if you embrace the diverse background that you come from, man, if that is who you are, you will face opposition. Just like in the book of Acts, every high is accompanied by a low. The high here, the gospel is going forth into the world. The low, we meet this guy named Bar Jesus and he's fighting against the truth of the gospel. You are promised opposition. 
and a faithful disciple goes expecting it. That opposition for you, by the way, can manifest itself by your peers in the hallway, making fun of you because you've declared that Jesus is Lord. It can manifest itself as social anxiety, not wanting to disappoint those around you. It can manifest itself by your family belittling your beliefs. At the end of the day, it doesn't quite matter what the opposition is because at the end of the day, if you're proclaiming the beauty of the gospel, they're opposing the God of glory. For us, it's not whether or not opposition will come, it's how we'll respond. As a faithful disciple of Jesus, I would encourage you, when you encounter opposition, you shouldn't just jump to praying that they'd be blind, although that'd be pretty cool. Don't do that though, right? Don't pray that your in-laws would be blinded this week, because that's not a fun thing to do. Don't do it. Instead, what we should do is we should pray and seek discernment from the Lord. And how can I be bold in proclaiming the gospel and still maintain the fidelity of this relationship? I mean, I, I wanna be bold in the proclamation of the gospel. I wanna stand for what's true regardless of what those around me say. Paul and Barnabas, they do that over and over and over again. And for us, we should seek the Lord and pray for wisdom and discernment. And I guarantee you, wisdom and discernment is not to keep your mouth shut. Guarantee you. Because again, God's remedy to a dark and depraved world are disciples who live son on mission with the gospel. And it takes you opening your mouth for that to happen. When God sends, number three, I go anticipating astonishment. I love how this passage ends in verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I mean, just let that sit with you for a second, okay? Like he had just seen his prophet be blinded by a guy just by speaking a word to him. And that's not what gets him. Like he's not caught up in that moment. He's going, man, that's crazy. But what you just said about the Lord is real whack. Like I'm gonna believe that. Like I'm gonna go there. So he believes not because of the miracle. He believes because of the proclamation of the teaching of the Lord. He's astonished because of it. I would venture to say this. When we open our mouths and proclaim the gospel of the Man, God's gonna do something astonishing. And the most astonishing thing he can do is not to blind somebody. The most astonishing thing that he can do is take a heart of stone, turn it into a heart of flesh. The most astonishing thing he can do is bring somebody from sin and death and bring them to life in Christ. And the invitation for us is to open our mouths and proclaim that truth to be sent, to go with a plan and a message, to go expecting opposition and anticipating astonishment because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we should realize that it's not just a select few that God sends. At the end of the day, we should realize that God sends you. He sends you. He sends you to your family. He sends you to your workplace. He sends you to your neighborhood. He sends you to those friendships that you have. He has sent you. So a better question to ask isn't, am I sent? A better question to ask would be, where God are you sending me? Where are you sending me? Because he, he sent you somewhere. I guarantee it. He sent you somewhere because his remedy to a dark and depraved world, remember, are disciples who live sent with the gospel. We'll either be obedient to his word as we realize that or we'll be disobedient to it. My hope and heart for us as a church is that we would be a church marked by obedience. 
So as we land the plane and come to a close this morning, here's the invitation for you. I, I want to invite you to do what Paul and Barnabas did as they were discerning what God was calling them towards. I want to invite you here in a moment to turn the seat you're sitting on into an altar of prayer, to kneel before the Lord and take a few moments as Micah plays to pray and ask God to help you see where he has sent you. Kneel before the Lord, pray, seeking him as he is sending you. It's a simple prayer. God, where are you sending me? Where have you sent me? And that's our heart. Has God called you? He has. Has he sent you? He has. Will we respond in obedience? Would you spend a few moments with me and pray?